Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly our readings, especially from the book of Romans chapter 4. And as we begin, you could imagine for a moment sitting in and on a panel discussion of some sort. And they hand the microphone to Nicodemus. How is one right before God? I don't know. He shrugs. He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee, which meant that not only did he keep God's law according to his own estimation, not only did he keep God's law perfectly, but that he had received some sort of advanced training, and he was in this long line of people stretching back nearly 300 years, this long line that tried to make sure that the people of Israel wouldn't have their place be taken away again. This long line of people trying to make sure that Israel obeyed God's law so that God would not send them into exile as he had done with the Babylonians. And Nicodemus, the the kind of man who would keep an accounting book, not only of expenditures, but also of time spent, also of laws kept and laws not kept. But we'll just conveniently leave those other ones off the book. That if God said you could only walk 200 yards at a time, then Nicodemus would say, I'll take 15 steps and then I'll sit down. And then I'll take 15 steps and I'll sit down. If God said that you could only drive the speed limit of 25, Nicodemus would say, well, I won't go past 20 because I don't want to get close to breaking the law. I don't want to get close to breaking the speed limit, even though everybody else is driving by at 30. And you ask Nicodemus, how are you made right? How do you know when enough is enough? And Nicodemus shrug his shoulders, throw up his hands. I don't. But I think, I think I've got it. If I just keep doing this every day, I think I will have done enough. The microphone gets passed. Not to Nicodemus, but to the guy sitting next to him who looks as old as dirt, this guy Abraham, who was 75 years old when God called him there in Genesis chapter 12, and he would live for about 100 years after that, until the age of 175. That Abraham would be changing his first diaper at around age 86, maybe 88, and that he would... um, He would eventually be buried by his sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and then the other sons that were born from his other wife, his second wife, Keturah. And you ask Abraham, how do you know you are righteous? How do you know that enough is enough? How do you know that you are good enough for God? And Abraham shrugs also. I don't know. I was just going about my everyday life, and God came to me. I was just going about my everyday life, and God chose me through nothing in in me. Abraham would readily confess that he was a wandering Aramean, that there was nothing special or particular about him, but that God had chosen him. How do you know when you are righteous enough? How do you know when enough is enough? How do you know that you are good enough for God? 
And Abraham says, well, I know that nothing good lives within me that is in my sinful flesh, but thanks be to God that he counted me as righteous. He counted me as enough because he made that promise. He made that promise and he even created the faith that believes this. And those two guys, Nicodemus and Abram, later renamed Abraham the father of a crowd, those two guys presenting before us the two different ways in which, our, in which God shows us a person may be made right, in which a person may be um, righteous in God's eyes, which they are counted as enough in God's eyes. The one trying to pursue all the ways in which, in which righteousness is acknowledged in society. That the world around me says that if I act like this, and if I refrain from that, then that is enough. And Abraham on the other side, not even getting into the, the truth of election. Abraham simply saying, wasn't anything in me, but God chose me. It wasn't anything in me, but God came to me and God made a promise to me. And could anything be more at odds than those two? Because the, the book study, which if you didn't read announcement number seven, they'll be here like Tuesday, hopefully. So if you're here on Wednesday, you can pick up a copy on Wednesday. The book study we're looking at is discussing this issue of people being religious. And that you and I, by nature, are religious people, religious creatures. That you and I, by nature, have our own understanding of how much is enough, how much is good enough for God. And you and I, with the sinful flesh, have this thing living within us that tries to pull us further away from our Lord and look for certainty elsewhere. Because it's that same question. How do you know when enough is enough? How do you know when you are good enough for God? And the microphone gets passed again. You think of the answers that someone might give. I'll just list the things that I haven't done. Well, um, I haven't instigated rebellion against the governing authorities. I haven't committed first-degree murder. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't broken into my neighbor's house and stolen things from them. I haven't lied on the witness stand. How do you know when enough is enough? Because when we talk about the standing of being righteous in God's eyes, or when we talk about actively living a holy life, it's not just the listing of what is left undone. But what's the standard? When our Lord says, you shall not murder, what is the standard? Holding a grudge within my heart? Ugh. Does that count? And you start to see that the default setting is not that of Abraham, not by a long shot. The default setting is that of Nicodemus. Get out my book and define for me what you mean by murder and does this apply to me? If you mean first degree intentional homicide, um, no, I haven't done that. 
if you mean holding a grudge against somebody or privately thinking in my own heart that that person's the idiot and if they knew any better they would be thinking the way that I do. What's your standard, God? The question quickly devolves from one of, am I good enough for God, to, all right, what exactly is God's standard, and how can I define it so that I measure up? And that's a lot of the, the topic that the, that the book will address. Um, we had, I guess, 15 copies last week and another 15 coming on Tuesday, and a reading guide for those of you who got a copy of the book. Because all around us, as people living in this world, we are people with the default setting of Nicodemus. A heart that says, just tell me what I have to do. Tell me how much I have to do. And tell me for how long I have to do it. What's the contract, God? Set it up so that I can do it. And at the very least, I can conceal the fact that I haven't measured up, and I can make sure that everybody sees only the image, the persona that I portray. As somebody who has it all together, as somebody who is fully accomplished, as somebody who has, you know, nothing to hide here, as somebody who is enough. Not just enough to be recognized as a good person in this world, but by extension then, enough for God. And that if he has a problem with me, that's his problem that I know I'm good enough for God. And if he doesn't agree with me, his laws. There sits Nicodemus the accountant, making a spiritual accounting. And Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. No one could do these miraculous signs unless God were with him. Because that's the other part. Nicodemus, obviously, he knows God's law. He knows God's law enough to make up laws on top of laws so that, um, like a law as a gate or a hedge around it, so he doesn't break actually God's law. But he also knows that this Jesus had to come from God. Nobody could do these miraculous signs unless God were with him. Because that's the other part. It is so easy to portray these Pharisees as just like, they're the bad guys, and don't be a Pharisee, and let's get on with our life. But he's not a dumb guy. He's put in some extra study on this, and he's listened to Jesus teach, he's watched Jesus preach, he's seen Jesus do miracles, and he knows, we know, that you are a teacher who has come from God. He's invested some logical thought into this. And now, Jesus, what is it that you say? And that question of, how can I be good enough for God? When is enough enough? Because the solutions of the world still aren't cutting it. And if you start paging through the book from chapter to chapter, you see um, roughly a dozen different ways, dozen different solutions in which the religious energies of natural people are directed. Maybe it's that question of when is enough enough? Getting more into the question of time. Not just what do I have to do, but for how long do I do this? That in our society, there is definitely a valuation. 
definitely um, a value judgment made about somebody who is a contributing member of society versus somebody who isn't. That we, we have a natural understanding that if somebody you know, work, works there 40, 50, 60 hours a week or maybe a regular job and a side hustle, maybe a job that we acknowledge them as, as heroes, that if they are doing these things, they are the top tier, the contributing members of society. Far be it from me to be like that guy standing at Secor Road, holding a sign, not a contributing member of society. On the one end, somebody whose schedule is so busy that the executive of 40 years ago, at the very top of, um, top of management, he would have his pocket daytimer or his Benjamin Franklin Covey system, and he would have it planned out down to the minute. There at the top. But that our society values personal contribution, and our society values busyness so much that that's been turned sideways. Where the schedules for our kids even, going from getting on the bus at 7.15 all the way through the end of school, and then they get dropped off or they get picked up. And, um, and one of those events after school is, yes, catechism. But there's the extracurriculars. There's the understanding that I need to keep my kids busy because they need to have all these experiences in order to have a valuable and fulfilled life. And that's the other part about the book, that topic. That he talks about these things as blessings, as the blessings that they are. And we don't want to, on one hand, fall into you know, one ditch that says, well, they're not blessings and we should just um, all have all the leisure time in the world and sit back and meditate on the Word of God. Fantastic. I think that's a great idea. But we don't want to, we don't want to down-talk God's gift of work. On the other hand, we also want to see with a clear eye exactly how the Nicodemus heart wants to turn any blessing into a new idol, into a replacement for our God. And that question of when is enough enough? How do I know that I have done enough for God, both in the quantity, um, the, the choices that I make, the activities that I participate in, as well as the time that I spend as a contributing member of society and the fact that I consider for yourself, do you feel comfortable sitting there and thinking without a TV on, without a device nearby, without even necessarily a book, but looking out the window and Daydreaming, remembering. That question of busyness is one that the Nicodemus heart will take and say, this is how I know that enough is enough because I don't have time for any more. This is how I know that enough is enough because look at all the choices that I've made that have filled up my schedule and there is not the time to take on any more. So surely this must be enough. And the microphone passes. There's Abraham. Abraham, what did you do for the first 75 years of your life? As far as we know, he was an unbeliever. Until God called him to faith. And seemingly at random at that, that God could have just thrown a, a, a dart at a map 
and it landed at Haran, and God said, all right, I'll take somebody from Haran. Abraham, you're it. I'm going to make all sorts of promises to you. And the question that Nicodemus would answer, well, I don't know when enough is enough. The only way I can know enough is enough is if I keep on doing it until I don't have any time, energy, or effort left. And the answer of Abraham, how do I know enough is enough? God said it. God said it. Not a character within Abraham, but God's words about Abraham. God's righteousness, his, that change of a status in God's eyes, um, which is a legal pronouncement, I guess, if you want to use the big word there. It's this legal announcement by God that Abraham is enough. Nothing changed within Abraham's heart or life aside from the fact that God created faith and God encouraged that faith and God kept him close. But the, the overall status in God's eyes is that Abraham was enough, righteous, that all the sins of the past and present and future had been accounted for and the righteousness of Christ imputed to him. Which is to say, credited to him, if you want to use the translation from Romans 4. And you and I, sons and daughters of Abraham. The microphone passes from Nicodemus back to Abraham. Abraham looks around and says, don't you know that you are members of the same family? That Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord with right and left and the right and left. You know that song? That that is the exact truth God is saying in Romans chapter 4. The answer of how do you know enough is enough? How do you know when the Nicodemus of the world and his solution is to say just do more and make sure you find a little, little spot in your schedule so you can do a little bit more and, um, and keep a, a firm accounting so that you can know when enough is enough. And Abraham says, dear friend, of course you're never enough, but your Jesus is. And that Jesus has counted all of his enoughness as yours. Of course you're not good enough for God. We confess that right at the very beginning. I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And you hear that declaration, that announcement, as from God himself. Dear Christian, you are enough. Dear Christian, you are good enough for God. Dear Christian, your Jesus has done enough. And that enoughness is all yours. Free of charge. So go ahead. If you um, did get a book last week, or you're, um, make sure to pick up one of the reading guides out there. And if you ordered a book last week, it'll be here this week. Because there's a whole lot more that we could see about the Nicodemus heart that lives within each of us, as well as the Nicodemus heart of the world around us. All for this one purpose that Jesus wants us to see instead. That he is enough for you. Amen.